0: be seated. It's a real privilege to be here, as I've already said, but it's an especially real privilege to be introducing your latest series, as far as sermons are concerned. Over these coming weeks, through Easter and just a little bit beyond, you're going to be considering Easter Encounters. Um, Brilliant. And, And in that, you're going to be looking at different characters particularly from this Easter narrative and what they might say to us in our lives today. Good people, you are in for a blessing. And so I hope that you are expectant of hearing God in his word and by his spirit over these coming few weeks. Open ears as God speaks, but hearts also to respond as God leads you. You're going to be looking at things like encountering power and truth and rejection, encountering abandonment and death, praise God, encountering resurrection, and a faith-filled encounter each of those weeks with a different group or a different person to look at and to consider. But we start off, and what a privilege, to consider encountering Messiah, and particularly particularly in these characters of Annas and Caiaphas. If you've got your Bibles, please grab them, and we're going to read from John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 18. And the first section, starting at verse 1 through to verse 27. John's Gospel, chapter 18, and starting at verse 1. This from the NIV. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And again he said to them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I'm he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers, with its commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus, and they bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and then brought Peter in. You're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire and they ha- they, a fire that they'd made to keep them warm. And Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me, surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why is it that you strike me? Then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Father, thank you for your word. Well, thank you. This is life for us. Well, thank you That it is food for our souls. Well, thank you that it is a light for our path. And so now we pray, by your Spirit, take this, your word. Speak into our hearts and our minds, but Lord, help us to be those that receive those words of encouragement, those words of challenge, and then respond to you as you prompt us. Jesus, our heart's desire is to become more like you. So help us through your word, by your Spirit, to grow ever more like you, our Saviour. Amen. So we've heard this story now, beautifully told with a Rubik's Cube, uh, and now from Scripture here. And so hopefully we've got this impression of the scene that is set. Next slide, please. We begin with this most emotive of scenes. This scene where those of us that are followers of Jesus, it breaks our heart, following the Passover meal, Jesus with his disciples is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, in that moment, he gives over to his father his entire life, knowing that his time has now come. And Judas brings a detachment of Roman soldiers with some of the the chief priests, guards and servants to Jesus. And they're there to arrest him. Jesus knew what was going to happen. For some time, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Previously, we read that his time had not yet come. But in that moment, he knew that this was the time to submit himself to this most painful, most torturous of occasions, that the road that would lead to his death. And so he goes out to those soldiers that are coming to him not hiding away not pretending that he's not who he is but openly going to those who would be those that would arrest him and I think that in that moment the soldiers just had some idea of the magnitude of what was happening maybe just a little bit they recoiled they fell down as he confirmed that he was who he was And they continued, and they arrested him. And of course, Peter does what Peter often does do, acts with that sense of, um, Uh. and wanting to protect his mate, his friend, his rabbi, the one who he's following. And so he takes his sword, and he strikes the servant's ear, the high priest's servant's ear, and cuts it. We don't read in this gospel, but in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus then healed it, I have no clue. What a good question. I have no clue whether it, it kind of grew back again or, or, or whether it was the same ear. The point of it is, is Jesus healed it in that particular moment. In, in this particular gospel, we get these took away comments. Uh, the, all the gospels are beautiful, but in, in John's gospel particularly, we get just these random little facts that I think are often there for a purpose, but we read past them. And in this particular passage in John's Gospel, we get the name of the servant. It's the only one we do, but we know his name's Malchus. What's he he doing that for? I think John, when he writes his Gospel, and as we'll see as we continue through this uh, particular passage, it's full of irony and juxtaposition and contrast. And and, and without realising it, this, this person's name just comes out in the text. Malchus means my king. That the servant that was sent to arrest Jesus, his name means my king. My word. Right there in the text, as the first readers, as as we read it today, then then we recognise, gosh, there's these pointers. Surely it is his king who who he's arresting. But in that moment, in that moment, he didn't know. Jesus then is carted off. Bound, the king of kings, the creator of the world, submitting himself, bound into the high priest's courts, where he comes across these two characters. Next slide, please. Annas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the, the high priest. Um, for the Jews, not just in in that one year, but for that period of time. In the year that these events happened, he was high priest, and and Annas was his father-in-law who had been high priest previously. These are, if you like, the rulers, the rulers of the Jewish nation, and they're incredibly powerful people. And I think that as Jesus comes into that room, the scene that we should be seeing there is one of, of trial. It comes out in the other Gospels if you read it. So actually what should be happening is is that there's witnesses called um, and and their testimonies are given against the defendant. In this case, it would be Jesus. And then the high priest makes a judgment as to what will happen according to that process, that trial process. Well, we get a flavor of that in the other Gospels. John is not so generous in his Gospel. Actually, the scene that we get is not so much of a trial as a police interrogation. It's almost a fate accompli. It's, it's a sham trial, if it's a trial at all. Because Caiaphas, Annas, the others, had already decided how this was going to go. There wasn't particularly an awful lot of need for, for witnesses necessarily, and John doesn't actually mention any in his account. They knew exactly what they were going to do. Why? Why was Caiaphas... Why was Annas, why were these leaders of the Jewish nation so opposed? This is not the first time in John's Gospel we read of Caiaphas. And if we look back, then we'll see what is going on here. Next slide, please. Let me read you these words from John chapter 11. So this is just after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Loads of Jews have seen what's gone on. They've been convinced that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, God's anointed one, and they've begun to follow him. This has not gone unnoticed by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ruling elite within the Jews. And so they get together, the Sanhedrin gets together, this bunch of Jewish leaders to try and decide what they're going to do about this situation. Here's what they say. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you, it's better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation perish. What Caiaphas is saying here, the heart of what he is saying, is we, those that are in power, in this protected religion in the Roman Empire, as Judaism was, we stand a chance of losing all of that. Chaps, we're in trouble with this guy. If he keeps getting followers, the Romans are surely going to notice. It's going to look like this rabble-rouser is coming against the Roman Empire. And He's one of us. We're not prepared to give away our privilege, our power, our status, our protection in this society. And so, rather than the Romans kill us all, it's better for just one man to die. That's the heart that Caiaphas has got. But of course, in that statement that you see on the screen, is a prophetic statement. If only Caiaphas knew it. The high priest of God does speak prophetically in that moment, if only he knew it. Because, yes, is it not better that one man die than for us all? all? This is the heart of the gospel story. So what we see in this character of Caiaphas and Annas' father-in-law are these people that are wanting to preserve power. They're wanting to save their own skin. They're not wanting to give away to the one who is the anointed one, the one who is the Messiah that they choose not to recognise. Next slide, please. I think it's notable in this text that John mixes up two scenes. You know, if if this were a TV drama, it'd be kind of these two stories running side by side um, and you'll flash between the, the, the scenes, So we've got the scene of Jesus' interrogation at the hands of the high priests, and you've also then got this scene of Peter, who is denying Jesus. I don't think that it's mixed up by accident. John is on to something here. What John is trying to do, I believe, in this passage, is to kind of set up, if you like, a contrast, a juxtaposition, that we're supposed to notice about this particular passage. Two trials, or pseudo-trials, are happening. One, the trial of Jesus, in him being questioned, he speaks the truth. On the other hand, in the trial of Peter, he lies about who he is. One, in the trial of Jesus, what we see is is faithfulness. And in the trial of Peter, faithlessness. One, in Jesus, we, we see that Jesus is accepting, accepting who he is. And in the trial of Peter, we see Peter rejecting who he is. This is what's going on in this particular passage, I believe. We're supposed to get that contrast in the, in the literary sense, but we're supposed to feel the impact of it as well. But there is one thing that draws those two trials together that, that is absolutely clear. In both of those trials... Jesus is the one who is despised and rejected. We use the phrase, we hear the phrase. He's despised and rejected by his own people, represented in the high priest Caiaphas. His own people in that moment have rejected him. But in that same moment, so is his friends. So are the people who were his disciples, followers of him, truly rejected, truly rejected. This is massive, it is incredibly sad, and we're supposed to feel some of that as we read this particular text. As Grace said, praise God that that's not the end of the story for Peter. It's not also not the end of the story for Caiaphas, but in a different way. Praise God that although in my life I'm the one who sometimes is unfaithful, the one who sometimes is the liar, not the truth teller. But the one who maybe desires to follow Jesus, but when the rubber hits the road finds the struggle and the questioning too hard for me. Praise God that there is forgiveness. Praise God that there is restoration. Praise God that there is future, there is hope, there is hope for me, there is hope for all of us Peters in this situation. And as you continue through this series, thank God you will see that hope that comes to pass on Easter Sunday morning. Next slide please. When I was at university, at college, at Bible College, um, there was a lecturer there who I I loved and at the same time found entirely intimidating. Um, He was a doctrine and ethics tutor. His name is John Colwell. Some of you may or may not know him. He's written all kinds of books, most of which I've decided are impenetrable to humankind. Um, But if you can figure them out, brilliant, come and tell me. I'd love to hear it. Uh, I, I don't mind admitting to you that, that the lectures for the first year of my time, the doctrine and ethics lectures, of 30 or so titles, I think I knew and recognised about five words of all of those titles. Uh, I, I, was, I was pretty intimidated by this guy. So imagine, then, my joy and relief when on the first lecture, having bamboozled us with various different doctrinal ideas and ethical ideas, at the end of the lecture, John says, of course, um, it's, it's not that difficult. I think it's, it seems pretty difficult to me. He said, no, no, the job of Christian doctrine is to ask the question, what kind of God? What kind of God does this show us? And, and the job of Christian ethics is, so what? So what difference does it make in my life In the lives of humankind, it's not that difficult really. So what kind of God is revealed in this? Um, And what difference does it make in my life? I'm of the opinion that all sermons should get to that point. That when we look at God's word, the first question we ask is, what kind of God is revealed in God's word in this passage? Followed then by the question, so what difference should it make in my life? At this point, I should probably leave it hanging and let you think on it. And please, brothers and sisters, this week, will you read this passage again? And will you pray, God, reveal to me what you are telling me about yourself in this passage, who you are, what you're like. And also, God, please help me to understand so what difference that should make in my life and in the lives of the people around me. Do you know, if we're faithful and we do that, That I believe that will grow maturity in Christ, fed on the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God, active in this world, that is God's. But because I'm a preacher, I'll give you a couple of pointers. So next slide, please. What kind of God? The God who we see in this passage is God's anointed one, the Messiah. Before us is the Saviour of the world. The whole of the Bible story has been pointing to this person and to these moments. All of scripture, of God revealing who he is, manifests itself in this God-man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That is who we see in this passage. The what kind of God? God's anointed the saviour of the world, the one who comes to restore. Big question, so what? So what difference does that make in my life and in your lives? Let me read these familiar words to you. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The Messiah, the anointed one of God, stood before them, and they rejected him. Next slide, please. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Faced with God's anointed one, faced with the Messiah, we have that choice as well. Next slide, please. Do we reject? as Caiaphas did? Are there things that are so important in our lives that we simply cannot give them over so that we can accept Jesus for who he is? Is it power? Is it status? Is it a desire for personal safety in a hostile world? These are the things that no doubt Caiaphas and those others were thinking For whatever reason, that was far more important to hold on to for Caiaphas and Annas and the others than it was to let go of those things and accept who Jesus was. In my life and in your life, are there some of those things that are really difficult to let go of, which means that we can't accept the Messiah? Or, and this is my prayer for me and for you, for the whole of God's world? Are we those that, faced with the Messiah, encounter Him in such a way that all of those things just begin to pale into insignificance? Because, faced with the Messiah of the world, we hand it all over. We put aside power, we put aside status, as Jesus did. And instead, we submit ourselves for who we are in our entirety to the Messiah, the Holy One of God. You are my King. You are my High Priest. Not the powers that be, you. It's you, Jesus, and only you. And in doing so, we accept him. And that's the question that I'll leave hanging with you. But can we be quiet for a moment? Let's pray. And so, in the quiet moment, just consider God's word. Consider this character, Caiaphas, and think: is the things that are too important in my life for Jesus? To be the one who I recognize and accept fully. For those of us that feel like Peter in that story, hear this God is a God who forgives. God is a God who restores. A God who gives purpose to our lives. So as we confess that to Almighty God, know freedom that you have in him. no purpose that you have in him. Know the love of God restoring your life and relationship with your Heavenly Father. Jesus, our hearts weep as we read this story. Lord, those of us that follow you, those of us that love you, we see in these moments, Lord, the whole the whole of your creation turn its back. Lord, your own people, your friends, those that walk with you, rejecting you, turning their back. So Lord, our hearts are just so humbled and we're full of gratitude for this path that you travelled. To submit yourself to this, to death, even that death on the cross. Lord, in response to that love which you have shown us, we recognize you as Messiah. And we choose this day and every day to encounter you, to put aside to let go of the things that are precious to us. Power, status, protection. Lord, help us to lay those things down and recognize you as the one who we absolutely accept as we encounter you this Easter time afresh. I pray your blessing on these, your people, as they continue to journey through this story over these coming weeks. Open up to scriptures. Lord, those that have read this story a thousand times, by your spirit, just strike something new in their hearts over these coming weeks. Those for whom this story is a new story, Lord, allow us to, to, to just know some of the enormity of what is happening here. But for all of us, Lord, help us not just to hear it, but to respond as you speak. Jesus, our desire is to be more like you. So make us more like you, we pray. Amen.